This podcast is Challenging Opinions and is presented by William Campbell. Thank you for downloading the Challenging Opinions podcast for August 28th, 2017. There's a lot of historical revisionism going on. That's where people try to reinterpret or rewrite history to suit a particular narrative of current politics. In this podcast, I'll talk to one journalist who commented on one attempt at revisionism, and we'll see how that went. Challenging Opinions is the podcast where ideas are tested. Whether you are left or right, conservative or progressive, devout or skeptic, what matters is the strength of your argument, not the strength of your voice. On the line now, I have Aaron Bandler. He's a staff writer with The Daily Wire. And I saw one article that you wrote, Aaron, which was called Russia's Foreign Ministry Just Issued the Most Ironic Tweet Ever. Can you tell me what the tweet was and why was it ironic? The tweet was Russia's Foreign Ministry is trying to distinguish the communism from fascism. And what they said was, uh, you know, was that the communists, how the Soviet communists, are responsible for defeating the Nazis in, in World War II. And, and then they're like, you know, that's, that's the difference between communism and fascism. And then, uh, and then Daniel Hannon, the conservative party member from Britain, like he basically destroyed them with one tweet when he said that this, ironically, that this is, a, this is the anniversary of the Nazi Soviet pact. Mm-hmm. But that was, that was, of course, what was the infamous pact where Stalin and Hitler agreed not to attack each other. And, and then, of course, that pact ended when Hitler uh, stabbed Stalin in the back and by invading in 1940 or 1941. Um, I mean, so I mean, that was mainly what the article was about about the irony of, of that tweet right there. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I also just pointed out that it seemed like it was it seemed a little disingenuous to me that that Russia seemed like they were taking like the chief credit for ending World War II, and really it was. It really was the Americans that that turned the tide of World War II, especially on D-Day, uh, since that that was kind of the beginning of the end of the of the, of the Nazi era, and it was the the real turning point in the war. So uh, that's you know that's pretty much what the article was about. Okay, now, I should go back just to, for people maybe who are not completely familiar with the history. There was in nineteen, I think in nineteen thirty nine, what was called the Molotov Ribbentrop Pact, and this was between uh, a the German Hitler's uh, foreign minister uh, Joachim von Ribbentrop and uh, Stalin's foreign minister, uh, who was called Molotov. He uh, who had the Molotov cocktail named after him, and in nineteen thirty nine, they signed a non-aggression pact. This um, wasn't quite an alliance, but it was presented with uh, with uh, von Ribbentrop uh, in a photograph, smiling and shaking hands with Stalin. And um, uh, Putin's Kremlin, Putin, we're told, is no longer communist. The Russian formerly Soviet government is no longer communist, but they're really trying to get the uh, the credit for winning World War II, aren't they? Yeah, they are. And it, it, it's typical Kremlin spin, you know. So, I mean, as I said in the article, I mean, the Soviets were, were allied, uh, with you know, the Americans, the British, and so forth, uh, toward the end of World War II. And in that sense, they do deserve credit for it. But the, the main credit go, goes to the Americans for winning World War II. 
Okay, I'm going to come on to that second bit in a minute. But just in defense, first of all, I'm not going to defend Putin for, on anything. And I think you're right. The fact that they sent out that tweet on the anniversary of the Molotov-Ribbentrop pact is definitely very ironic. I think Daniel Hannan wrong on other things. He was certainly right on that. But the fact is that Russia was on its knees in the years leading up to World War Two, And they were industrializing at a frenetic pace and they were also trying to move their industry to the far side of the Ural Mountains into Siberia out of reach of any Nazi invasion even though the Stalin you know Stalin's communist government was a horrible repressive regime it was probably good war tactics to try and delay the war because Russia the Soviet Union was getting stronger faster than the Nazis were and if they had to sign a a, a, a pact to delay things wasn't that really the right thing to do well I, I said in the article it, it made sense why Stalin did it because I mean for the reasons you stated there and also the fact that I mean he would he doesn't he still get still received like half of Poland uh, without having a war. So, I, I mean, from a war tactic standpoint, yeah, it makes sense. That doesn't make it right. I mean, I, I, I mean, allying with, uh, with the regime that murdered six million Jews and, and scores of others. I mean, that, I mean, that's, that's, that's immoral, you know, and, and there's, there's no defending that. They hadn't done that at that time. No, but they, but, but, no, but they were clearly on their way toward doing it. I mean, the anti-Semitic, uh, policies of, 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 of the Nazis, of the Nazis were still in place at that point. I mean, Crystal Nazi already yes. happened by then. So, uh, I mean, it, it, it was still a moral repressive regime. Basically, it was two moral repressive regimes allying w- w- with each other. And there's no defending that. You, you, you might also, um, draw parallels in at a far smaller scale with maybe, um, the United States under Ronald Reagan and, uh, George Bush Sr. allying with, uh, uh, the Mujahideen, the Taliban in, uh, Afghanistan. But le- le- let's leave that aside. Don't you think that when you're faced with something like the fascist Nazi regime in Germany, you do what you need to do to stay alive. There is no morality in war. I understand, but but but, but at the same time, I mean, a Nazism needed to be defeated. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, the, the the whole reason why World War II lasted as long as it did was because people kept appeasing Hitler at the hopes that he's like, okay, he'll stop. Okay, if you give him a little bit more, he'll stop eventually. Mm-hmm. And nothing that was done was 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 aimed at, at defeating them. It was just hoping that he would stop, but he didn't. Now, I mean. This was mostly Britain, always... to be fair. This was British, uh, the British policy of appeasement, particularly over Czechoslovakia, that, that, uh, and also occupying, uh, the Rhineland and, uh, creating a German air force. All of these were breaches of the Versailles Treaty. Right. That, that, that's, that, that, that's exactly right. But my point is that the thing is, is that, you, is that yeah, you try to hope to stay alive, but they really endangered themselves by letting Hitler become stronger. Uh, by appeasement. And so the better thing to do would have been to have everybody allied together, including the U.S., and, and defeated him before he became too strong. And, uh, you know, un- uh, unfortunately, like, if they, they all came to that realization sooner, uh, later rather than sooner. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I, I, I think that had they dealt with Hitler earlier, the World War II may not have lasted as long as it did. I, I think you're absolutely correct on that. The Allies, I think perhaps, didn't exist. They were not allied until the, the they were faced with the uh, the the threat that Hitler became. And yeah. I, I kind of agree with you. And, and I have to say, 
uh, I agree with you on, on the the, uh, the grubby nature of Putin trying to uh, claim credit uh, for something uh, which is certainly not due to him and may not be all that much credit in the first place. But mm. one thing that I totally disagree with you on is, and you have it underlined and bold in the article, and I put a link to it in the show notes, it says the American-led forces on D-Day, it was the American-led forces on D-Day that signaled the beginning of the end of the Third Reich. And I think that's just factually wrong. And the figures really speak here. 80, 80, 80% of all German and Axis, that's to say the German allies in Romania, uh, Hungary to a degree, and Italy, 80% of their military resources were faced against the Soviet Union. 20% was the Western Front and the African Front combined. As far as the Nazis were concerned, everything was the battle against the Soviet Union. D-Day was a sideshow. Right. Well, but, but I mean, but D-Day was really the first point during the war where the Nazis were really on their heels. You know, and that was really when they, they, they faced some real pushback. Um, Are you serious? And, well, yeah, that's, I mean, I mean, that's what... D-Day, we should, D-Day, we should say, was in, in the 6th of June, 1944. The... Uh, Battle of Stalingrad was, I think, two years uh, or two and a half years earlier. And that's when the Soviet troops turned around the Nazis who had gone thousands of kilometers into Russia. They had besieged uh, Leningrad, now called St. Petersburg. They had Moscow within sight. They could see the tall buildings of Moscow in their field glasses, and they were within a couple of hundred meters of taking control of what was then called uh, Stalingrad, what is now called Volgograd. Russian cities have a habit of changing names. In particular, if the Nazis had taken Volgograd, they would have had nothing between them and the wheat fields and the oil fields of southern Russia. They would have had an unlimited supply of oil and uh, food uh, um, they would have been unbeatable. Well, causing you to say that, so I, I'm reading a passage here from History.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, it says, The Normandy invasion began to turn the tide against the Nazis, a significant psychological blow. It also prevented Hitler from sending troops from France to build up his eastern front against the advancing Soviets. The mm-hmm. following spring, on May 8, 1945, the Allies formally accepted the unconditional surrender of Nazi Germany. Hitler had committed suicide a week earlier, on, on, on April 30th. So, um, so the main point... I mean, so that's why it's really that, that right there is why I argue that, that that was a turning point of the war. Um, like, sure, that's I mean, absolutely. Like the Battle of Stalingrad, as you said, was very important. But D-Day was really the, the beginning of the end. That's a fair point. It, it, and I think you say that it signaled the beginning of the end. And it right, was yeah. the beginning of the end. But D-Day would have been absolutely impossible if the Nazis had defeated uh, the the Soviets and had taken uh, would have then been able to tra- transfer large amounts of troops uh, of the eighty percent of their troops that they had in the east they would have been able to transfer them to the west to defending the beaches of France they would have had an unlimited supply of oil and food they would have been unbeatable and isn't there a danger here that the the U S is believing its own propaganda and um, maybe imagining that its role in the European theater was bigger than it was. No, I, I mean, I, I mean, I, I think you probably did make a fair point of, about like how important of winning Stalingrad was, but the fact of the matter is that, I mean, D is a reason why, why D-Day has an anniversary, right? 
Um, it's it's because like oh, hang on, have you been the, to Ru- have you been to Russia, Aaron? No, I haven't. But well, I, 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 I mean, I, I'm sure I can that tell they you. have. They want anniversaries too. Uh, they they sure do. It's May the 9th. and uh, to say that every school child know, in Russia knows this is an understatement. Oh no, I mean, I, I don't tell that at all. I mean, I, I, obviously they have their own propaganda and such. And look, I, I mean, I, I mean, certainly the Soviets deserve credit for for the for all the for Stalingrad and so forth. But I mean but D Day significance shouldn't be underplayed here. I mean, uh, that was a huge turning point in the war. Yes, I, I, it was. I, um, I would disagree that it was a turning point. I think it was inevitable, an inevitable consequence. But I think actually technically the sentence that you wrote that it signaled the beginning of the end probably is true. But that okay. be, the beginning of that beginning of the end wouldn't have been possible without the the great bulk of the Nazi forces having been defeated in the East. Tell me this, Aaron, when you see Putin taking credit for for the, the, the victories of the Soviet Union, are you a bit uneasy? It does, well, yeah, because, I mean, it, it just goes to show, like, what Putin's ultimate goal is, but just to rebuild the Soviet Union. I mean, he has said that the fall of the Soviet Union was one of, like, the greatest tragedies of the past century and so forth. So, I mean, so it's clearly he wants to rebuild it, uh, and kind of return Russia back to its former glory. Uh, and I think in, in Russia, like, a lot of people kind of look back on, like, Lenin and even Stalin a little bit, like, kind of fondly because those are kind of viewed as, like, the glory days of Russia. Mm-hmm. And, and that's clearly what Putin tries to restore, is trying to restore, and that's obviously not good, uh, you know, especially for, like, the former Soviet satellites in, like, the Baltics and, and so forth. But also, it's not good for America either, since, it, uh, since it's clear that, that, that that Russia is not a friend of ours and that, you know, and they're, they're trying to, we just try to rebuild them back to a rivaling a superpower like it was during the Cold War. So, so certainly, yeah, I mean, that's, that's basically what the whole point of the, tw- the tweet is, you know, is to try to, is, you know, part of Putin's whole campaign to rebuild the Soviet Union. So, of course, that makes me uneasy. And do you think that it's possible for Russia to rest easy while countries that used to be part of the Soviet Union, like Lithuania, uh, Latvia and the Baltics, uh, join NATO and Ukraine wants to follow them? Well, I, I think Russia at this point, they're still... I think right now, like, they, they haven't experienced significant pushback yet from the U.S. I mean, so certainly not under Obama, uh, who kind of let Putin kind of, like, run all over him. Trump? Uh, is a little bit, like, is a little bit more, uh, willing to put, give a little pushback, you know, as shown by, like, the strikes in Syria, uh, and, and he, and he did kind of press Putin a little bit on the election hacking and re, re, and revalidated the commitment to Article 5 of NATO. So, uh, but it's, I, I, I think Russia can't, I think Russia is still resting relatively easy for now because they haven't faced any significant pushback for what they're doing. Uh, I, I think, however, as the Trump administration starts to actually put some real pressure on, on onto Russia for for their for their actions, then I think they'll start getting a little bit nervous. But right now, they're not nervous, not quite yet. Aaron Bandler, staff writer with the Daily Wire. Thank you very much for talking to me. Well, thank you so much for having me on. Have you read a blog post or an opinion piece that you think is really right or really wrong? Tell us why. Email podcast at challengingopinions.com and let's discuss it on the next show. That's all for the Challenging Opinions podcast published on August 28th, 2017. I have links to Aaron's article on The Daily Wire and other references for things we were talking about in the show notes for this podcast that you can find on the website.
And do you know someone who I should interview? What topics should I be covering? I'd be really interested to hear your feedback. And if you like the podcast, there's one thing you could do to really help other people to find it. Go on iTunes, give the podcast a rating and write a short review. There's a link on the website directly to the iTunes page. Also, please like the show on Facebook. On Twitter, you can follow the show at ChallengingO. And you can also follow Aaron Bandler at Bandler's Banter. And most importantly, subscribe to the show for free. You can use Apple Podcasts or Google Play or any other podcast app or software. There's links and an RSS feed and all that on the website. And I know not everyone uses podcast software. A lot of people just listen on the website. So you can also enter your email address on the Challenging Opinions website. And each time a new show goes online, you get a simple email with the link to listen and zero spam. Pinky swear. You can find all of that or get in touch with me at www.challengingopinions.com. The Challenging Opinions podcast is produced and presented by me, William Campbell. The assistant producer is Liam McLaughlin. Thank you for listening. Listener.